Welcome to the Riverdale Writers Room, a fan-made podcast where two girlfriends compete head-to-head to predict the series finale of Riverdale before it airs. Together, we will embark on a three-phase journey wherein we'll rewatch the series, write our own version of season seven, and then compare our own creations to the real deal. Is Riverdale truly unpredictably campy, or can we successfully hack into the psyche of the writers? Join us as we try to conjure the spirits within the real Riverdale Writers Room. There is no single way to tell a story. You're each to write your own version of the ending. In whatever style you choose. Best story wins. Challenge accepted. Hello. Welcome to the Deep Dive episode. I'm Chantal. And I'm Katie. And for the record, we are girlfriends. We are. We love each other. We love each other in a romantic, not friendly way. Well, also friendly, but also (laughs) romantic. Um, But we're doing this because we both have so many thoughts and feelings about Riverdale that we don't know where to place them. While we're watching everything back and like taking notes and preparing to write the final season, we wanted to also do a deep dive into the writers of the show, the lore, the history. So we'll start off with our founding father, so to speak, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. He's not the creator of the Archie comics. Not officially. He's (laughs) the reinventor, so to speak. He's the reason we have the Archie comics of more recent years and Riverdale as we know it. So I don't know much about him. Katie did a very, very deep dive. So she's going to give us a lot more background info. But as far as I'm aware, he went to a couple different schools. He's like from Washington, D.C., did a couple different English writing programs. I think he graduated from Yale with an MFA. He did, yes. He graduated from the School of Drama. Pretty impressive. Yeah, this man's got three degrees. Two MFAs? Goddamn. So after that, he produced a play called Archie's Weird Fantasy. So Archie's Weird Fantasy is kind of like, it uses the Archie characters in a timeless existence sort of world that takes place in a relative, like, modern time, but also has the aesthetic of the 50s and a lot of the controversies of the 50s. And also uses the plot of a murder that happens in the 1920s. The general plot is that Archie graduates from high school, graduates from college, right? He realizes that he's gay. So he moves to New York with Veronica, Betty, and Jughead. And they're all living in the city. He gets a job with a comic company, EC Comics, which actually exists. I double-checked that. That's a real comic book company. So he gets a, a job writing for their weird fantasy comics but during this time there's also censorship happening based on the censorship trials of the 50s regarding comic books and making kids more devious or so they thought so they're dealing with that it's like a coming out coming of age story that in his roommates in college his first boyfriend i think was leopold and loeb and they're murders. And so there's also this murder case that's happening. That's a, that's all I really know. I think that's all the important stuff of the play besides the fact that, you know, Archie Comics sent a cease and desist, mm-hmm. threatening litigation if the play proceeded as written. Specifically, they said that if Archie was portrayed as being gay, that would dilute and tarnish his image. And so they just changed the names They kept everything up, called Weird Comic Book Fantasy instead. The main character, Archie, becomes Buddy. Mm -hmm. Um, Notably, Jughead (laughs) becomes Tapeworm, (laughs) (laughs) which really (laughs) threw me for a loop. I was like, what the hell? Maybe we'll see these names come back. Ooh, that would be really interesting to see how he would put them into the new final season at the very least it really reveals his talent for naming characters Mm -hmm. you know sweet pea baby teeth (laughs) tall boy (laughs) tall boy oh tall boy war baby (laughs) he really likes the word baby (laughs) he really likes adjectives body parts 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very formulaic. Something else I wanted to mention about this time period is I read some stuff about his other plays that he did. Mm-hmm. And he talks a lot, like ad nauseum in multiple interviews, about how he's really interested in morality, how he's interested in good versus evil. Ooh, um, okay. And these sorts of dichotomies. And I thought that was interesting because we see that in Riverdale a lot. Definitely. that That's even being touted at the end of season six as like, the issue that the town is facing mm-hmm. like are the is the soul of riverdale ultimately good or bad and then you also have the soul of riverdale right yeah the spirit of riverdale is kind of pops but like all these characters are riverdale and that's the betty speech at the end of season one mm-hmm. and they actually say a lot of stuff like that in afterlife with archie which we'll get to in just a mm. second or maybe we'll get to it now Afterlife with Archie is what really gets Roberto to be, what is it, chief creator, director of the Archie comics? I want to get that title right. Is Afterlife with Archie an official Archie comics edition? Yes. Oh, I thought Roberto wrote it just to write it. But did he write it after he was hired for the Archie comics? Or was he, did he write that as like an application piece? I'm not sure exactly how he got this job. He was previously a comic writer for DC and Marvel, Mm. which seems like a conflict of interest to me, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So my guess is that he pitched this to someone. And there was an interview where it seemed like maybe he was friends with with the CEO of Archie Comics. I'm not sure how real that is. But Afterlife with Archie was uh, made in 2013. Do you know anything about Afterlife with Archie? Did no. you see any any details of it whatsoever? I don't think so. All right. So here is the general synopsis. I'm not going to go through all of it because I have like three pages of notes <laughs> on Afterlife with Archie. <laughs> I read the entire thing. It starts off with Hot Dog, Jughead's dog, getting hit by a car. Aww. I know. It's really sad. There's a lot of pet death in these comics. Oh, that's so sad. Caramel. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so Jughead runs over to Greendale to Sabrina's house. And he's like, Sabrina, please help me save Hot Dog's life. And the ants try to save him, but he's already dead. There's nothing they can do. The ants are like, you cannot bring this dog back to life. That's against the witch rules, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And Sabrina's like, yeah, sorry, there's nothing I can do. And then as Jughead is leaving, Sabrina is like, I know you really loved Hot Dog. And Jughead is like, yeah, I loved him just as much as you loved Salem or love Salem. (laughs) Her her witch cat familiar? Yes. The one that has like the soul of a human, of a former witch, right? Yes. That's the familiar lore. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And so Sabrina is emotionally manipulated. Uh, Jughead goes home, but she comes back. She flies with the, the necromancy book that she's found. And she's like, Jughead, I'll help you. And she casts a spell and she's like, okay, he'll come back to life we don't know when sometime tomorrow probably and so (laughs) (laughs) Jughead doesn't go to school today that day he waits for hot dog he's told his parents that hot dog ran away Mm -hmm. and that he's waiting for him to return it's also Halloween all Hallow's Eve old Hallow's Eve and there's a Halloween dance going on and you have all your favorite characters there Jason and Cheryl are even going to cause some chaos. They start to go in. They don't go inside, though. And the reason why is that Jughead shows up to this dance, except he's not his normal self. He's now a zombie. He's The hot dog has come back to life and bit him and turned him into a zombie. And then Jughead goes to the dance, turns a bunch of people into zombies. He turns Ethel into one. Principal Weatherby, Miss Grundy. Um. <laughs> In this world, is Miss Grundy abusive toward children? No, she's just a regular old lady teacher. Okay. Because <laughs> I remember when we first started watching, you were kind of like explaining who the characters were in the comics. The very first time we started watching, before I was really into it and like aware of what Riverdale is, you said Miss Grundy was an old lady in the original comics. And then they made her 
a saucy young teacher who (laughs) has relationships with their students that are incredibly inappropriate well i think the the way that was justified in riverdale was that she stole the identity of the real miss grundy right okay right right who was the old lady but they just killed her (laughs) her before the show even started (laughs) so that they would have a plot point (laughs) exactly so i'm not gonna go into all the details of afterlife with archie but it's a zombie apocalypse type of series it's 10 comics a couple notable things about it let's see cheryl kills jason uh we don't know why presumably something really weird and creepy is just going on there there's a flashback for example to an old blossom family thanksgiving where they're going around the table and explaining what they're thankful for and everyone says that they're thankful for family and jason is like i'm grateful for cheryl and cheryl's like i'm grateful for my dog sugar and (laughs) cheryl's like yeah, that was so weird what happened to Sugar. Like, I was devastated. How could she choke herself with her own leash? And then we see, like, a little panel of presumably Jason killing her dog. (gasps) Oh, my God. Yeah. What? And she comes back to the camp because, like, everyone has, like, fled the zombies, fled Riverdale, um, and they had gone off to go hunting, covered Mm -hmm. in blood. And her story is that Jason sacrificed himself to a zombie to save her but she takes Mm -hmm. all the girls away later the next day and explains the real story but we never find out as the reader what it is that's crazy Mm -hmm. okay that makes me very curious and very suspicious about what's going to happen with the rest of the blossom twins yes absolutely some other notable things about jason and cheryl is there is like a twin cest undertone still Mm. mostly initiated by jason oh when the zombie apocalypse is first happening jason and cheryl are talking yes they're talking about dying and being the only two people left on earth and cheryl is like but could we do it like could you do it and jason says Two red roses, a matching pair, growing up and growing old together with no one to bother or judge them. He, like, Mm. kind of romanticizes it. It's weird. Mm. It's just weird. Let's see. Mm. Archie has to kill his own dad because he became a zombie. Oh, my God. Everyone's parents are zombies except for, like, Hiram. Of course. Hiram comes off as very politically conservative in these comics. (laughs) Doesn't he in the show, too? (laughs) He does, but it seems a little bit more overt in the comics Mm. because he insists that they still celebrate, like, Thanksgiving and that it's, like, a sacred tradition and... Are they still not white in the comics? No, they're white. Oh, okay. They're traditionally white. Okay. They were changed for the show. If if they're, like, Latino like they are in the show, that's not even their holiday. (laughs) (laughs) Traditionally. If they want to talk about tradition. Um, let's see. Some other details. Oh, Reggie's the one that hit Hot Dog with the car. And <gasps> we find out later he did this intentionally to take out his anger on something because he couldn't get close to Midge. Like Midge or Moose and Reggie had a fight. Like Reggie likes Midge in the comics. And Midge asks Reggie for $500. We don't know why. We never Ooh. find out. There are a lot of things we never find out, in fact. Before I get to that, though, Sabrina is, like, sent to the nether world or some kind of, like, punishment limbo for witches Mm -hmm. for doing the necromancy. Her her aunts find out and send her there. Of course they do. There's a zombie apocalypse. (laughs) But then these old gods find her there. Oh. Someone named Dr. Lovecraft... Hmm. <laughs> brings her back and she's kind of like in this asylum of sorts and they're like saying you're not a witch like your name's not Spellman it's Sawyer and she finds out that her magic is being repressed and she's kind of being brainwashed there mm, like in- the sisters of quiet mercy yes very much like the sisters of quiet mercy I think it is inspiration for sure mm-hmm. basically all this has been done to bring back The gods of Carcosa, Mm. of which, who is the king? Cthulhu. Of course. (laughs) 
and Sabrina gets married off to Cthulhu. Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> Does the like spirit of Cthulhu exist in a human form? It's just Cthulhu with like the tentacles and everything. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Isn't Sabrina a high schooler? Yes. And they marry her off to an immortal god. Yes, to Cthulhu. Okay. Is that like all within... Is this the, the plot of the overarching 10 comics? Generally, yeah. Okay. I thought this was just like the first edition. No, this is like <laughs> overall... I'm trying to pick out the best details to include. Okay. Uh, what else? What else? Oh, Hermione's dead in these comics. Like she died shortly after birthing Veronica. Like birth complications or like a hit? I I had not considered a hit. Um, <laughs> in the comics, they explain that Hermione is of poor health. Hmm. But a hit is possible, I guess. Hiram was very guilty about the death. And the way it was explained was because he was away for business so much. But you make me question that a little bit. He was away for business so much, but what was she doing in the time that he could have, that well, that he was gone, that he could have found out about? Like the start of season one, he kind of does threaten Hermione a little bit when he finds out about her fling with Fred. She does, yeah. And what else? What else? We've got, this is just a funny thing I want to include. Um, after Cheryl comes back and they all suspect that maybe she killed Jason... Mm-hmm. First of all, the comic compares her to Carrie. Oh. Second of all, she's like, my name is Blaze now. No explanation <laughs> of, of that. Three. <laughs> Number three, they all vote on whether or not to leave Cheryl behind or take her with them. And they ultimately only win by one vote. But like the Lodges and Hiram are very anti-keep Cheryl. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kevin refuses to vote. And Hiram says, this isn't Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kevin is like, actually, my dad died in the Gulf War, protecting my right to not vote. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kevin. <laughs> so it's not Sheriff Keller then? It's not world. Sheriff Keller, no. Is it, so is this group then the survivors of the zombie apocalypse? Yes. Okay. The only ones who are surviving at this point are... Veronica, Betty, Archie, Hiram Smithers, mm. Reggie. Is Moose there? No. Moose, Moose and Mitch turned into zombies. Okay. Uh, they were infected. Jughead probably got them. Yeah. When they were all escaping mm-hmm. and they all went to the Lodge's mansion, like Mitch had one scrape. Oh. And yeah. That, that messed things up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's giving The Walking Dead. It is kind of giving The Walking Dead. Something interesting to point out, though, is that in an interview a long time ago, towards the end of season one, Roberto talked about doing Afterlife with Archie, where Mm -hmm. he was going to start at the end of season one and then into season two. He said that his zombie inspiration specifically is like Evil Dead. Okay. My current thoughts about Evil Dead is that it's like a more camp- zombie movie series well that would definitely check out well they're from the 80s and i guess they did a more recent one in 2013 and they have a sequel for 2023 Mm -hmm. planned but oh yeah the budget for the first one released in 1981 was three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. so i feel like it has to be campy as fuck yeah probably (laughs) just my well with inflation i don't know he also said in these comics, his top horror influences, mm. biggest horror influences, Stephen King, John Carpenter, Lovecraft, Barker. Mm. So I thought those might be useful yeah. for our rewrite. Yes. Well, if they're, they've already done something with Stephen King. Yes. They did carry the musical. They did, which Roberto has done something with before. One of the things that I, d- I found out in my research about Leopold and Loeb was that they believe themselves to be Ubermenschen, 
which is like Superman, according to Nietzsche. Superman being of like superior intellect and ability and above human laws and norms. And so these two guys thought that they were so smart because they were prodigy kind of guys. One of them claimed to know 15 languages that they could get away with the perfect crime. And so they kidnapped and murdered a kid. Obviously they got caught. But that was, those were the roommates and that was the thing that was going on, kind of like the Superman thing. Maybe that's kind of a touching point for, a foundational point for the powers that come in later. Because all the characters are kind of above the law in season six. The, the powers? Yeah. Funny you should mention the powers. Okay. Because here are some things that I found from some old comics. Specifically, Archie Comics's like secondary label, Red Circle Comics. <gasps> oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Later, later changed to Dark Circle Comics. These are real Ooh. comics. Um, here are some notable superheroes from them: The Black Hood. <gasps> <laughs> what? Yes. The Black Hood is a superhero. The Black Hood is a superhero. Specifically, (laughs) he is a costumed man of mystery who has been trained by a hermit to battle evil. A costumed man of mystery? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. He's an ex-cop who has been framed for grand larceny and left for dead by a villain known as the Skull. He eventually clears his name, but continues to wear the costume. There's also a lot, several different Black Hoods. It's kind of inconsistent between comics themselves. Sometimes the hood itself seems cursed, and it's kind of given to someone. Mm, Like uh, an R.L. Stein, the mask kind of situation. Have you seen that? Goosebumps. I haven't seen it, but I can infer what you mean. Yeah. Yes. There's an episode of Goosebumps that was on on Cartoon Network at random times during the day when I was a kid a lot that specifically is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And there's a Halloween mask that this girl finds and it gets stuck to her and she becomes the monster. So it's kind of like that, huh? Yes. Where it's you put it on and you become the thing. Yeah. Specifically, you kind of become a vigilante. The Black Mm. Hood, the reason he's fighting crime is because someone killed his brother. Oh, so he's like Batman. Yeah, kind of. He's kind of a lot of Instead of having like mommy and daddy issues, he's, got, he's sad about his brother. Mm. Some other characters include the shield, the wizard, mm. the hangman, the fly, fly girl, the comet, the mm. web, jaguar, and the fox. What does Comet do? Comet, I believe, is the Black Hood's brother. Let me see, oh. though. <laughs> he doubles Oh, that. my God. And also the shield. Is that just someone who's really strong? Or is it someone who has Cheryl powers with the ability to protect an entire town from a comet coming toward them? I think the shield is specifically described as being invulnerable. Hmm. Actually, it looks like the hangman is the character who is searching for vigilante dresses for his dead brother, the comet. Okay. Yes. So the hangman and the comet are brothers. Yes. And it looks like the wizard is definitely inspired by Percival. He has a photographic memory and supersensory perception that enables him to physically see distant places, people, and events, as well as a talent for hypnosis and telepathy. Mm-hmm. That'll be Percy. That, that'll be good old Percy. Good old Percy Pickens. Good old Percival Pickens. Are any of the other heroes, do they have powers that mirror the powers that our group of friends get? <laughs> there are a couple. I don't know if you remember this from season one, but Pure Heart the Powerful. Oh my god. Is basically what Archie is in season uh-huh. six. And in Afterlife with Archie, it's also his costume on Halloween. He has, like, a superhero costume with a big P on it. So it's very clearly Pure Heart the Powerful. Uh Uh-huh. Basically, there's this whole comic era in the 80s called, like, the Super Teens, which I think is what Roberto was going for Mm -hmm. in season six, which making all of the characters have superpowers and stuff. He did reveal in an interview that Tony and Fangs also originally had powers. Hmm. but they took away they they were like the real power is protecting their son (laughs) (laughs) like okay all right (laughs) fine 
There's also like an anti pure heart the powerful, which is evil heart the mighty. The mighty? Yeah, the mighty. Um, oh, I thought you said miney. Like, oh, no. <laughs> like M I N E Y ish, I think. No. <laughs> evil heart the mighty. Well, he often refers to himself in the comments as Mantle the Magnificent. Uh-huh. So I think it's kind of a play on that. So basically, a lot of stuff just gets pulled from old comics, which makes sense when you think about it because Roberto is literally, what is his title? <laughs> He's the chief creative officer of Archie oh, Comics. Oh, a CCO. Yeah, so he has access to all this intellectual property. He's going to use it. Yeah, of course. And the more I researched these old comics, the more I was starting to realize that Riverdale is actually a pretty faithful adaptation of these. Interesting. It's darker, it's a lot more adult, but as far as consistency goes in the comics, they kind of try on a lot of different scenarios on them that aren't necessarily consistent from one to the other. Mm-hmm. So Well, it's like one of those evergreen kind of comics, right? Where the characters are always going to be kids. Right. Like the Simpsons. The kids, they, ne- they never change. But lots of things happen in their lives. Right. Okay. Right. So when you think about it that way, it's actually pretty faithful. And from the 50s to the 90s, we had Life with Archie, which is what Afterlife with Archie mm-hmm. is kind of playing off of. And volume one of that, let me read you the description. The stories were of adventures experienced by Archie and the gang as they thwarted thieves, smugglers, ghosts, and the like. Occasionally, Archie alternate universes were featured in which Archie and the gang were secret agents or superheroes by the names of Pureheart the Powerful, Super Teen, Betty, Captain Hero, Jughead, and Reggie as the anti-hero Evil Heart. Later issues of Life with Archie home some of the earliest appearances of Cheryl Blossom. Oh my god. So... Since, in an interview, Roberto has stated that Afterlife with Archie is not the DNA of the comics that they want to bring into the recent season, it makes me think, well, he didn't say anything about life with Archie. Mm. Life with Archie full of superheroes and, I mean, we just did superheroes, but Secret Agents hasn't been touched yet, and that's a big well, I guess you're right. You did the FBI thing. <laughs> I guess you're right. I'm just trying to think about, since we just got the news that episode one is called Don't Worry Darling, what does it implicate for the 50s time swap? Here's something else I want to tell you about that I just found out yesterday that he said about season seven. So the idea is that we're going to hunker down, be in the 50s, and kind of deconstruct not just Archie comics, but what Riverdale has been, and have it in dialogue with what people think of as the Archie comics. That said, it is not a clean break. It is very much in continuity with the first six seasons, kind of the same way that Mm -hmm. Rivervale ended up being in continuity with the rest of the season. Jughead remembers what happened the first six seasons. It's in question what the other characters will remember, but in my mind, whether or not they remember it consciously, there's going to be an emotional memory of what they've lived through. Okay. And he's talked about how Shoney is still going to be going on. Kevin is still going to be gay, but it's going to be different because it's the 50s. Right. So the way they're going to be navigating that. Oh, another thing about Afterlife with Archie, there's this whole extra comic at the end. Okay, first of all, I didn't get to the big twist. Oh. Oh my God. Yeah, what else did he say? Okay, so Sabrina is Cthulhu's wife, and Reggie is carrying all this guilt about causing the zombie apocalypse, essentially. Mm -hmm. I don't think he knows about Sabrina's involvement. He really thinks that he did this single-handedly somehow. Oh. So Reggie is like, okay, so I started this. I have to end it. And he walks over to what they call the horde, the zombie horde, as a sacrifice. Uh, But they don't tear him apart. They kind of part as he walks through mm. and Jughead shows up the leader of the zombie horde army <laughs> of course <laughs> <laughs> and Reggie's like ah of course I gotta get killed by Jughead like that makes sense and then like hot dog is right there uh-huh. <laughs> and Sabrina appears out of nowhere she's like all tentacly and <laughs> she doesn't have eyeballs really and she's like Reggie <laughs> she's like Cthulhu thanks you for the work you've done because somehow the zombie apocalypse has facilitated this re-entry of the gods into the normal life 
And she's like, you can be rewarded. And he's like, what? And he's like, there's nothing I want. She's like, there is something. And Midge comes out of, like, the zombies, and she's still a zombie. And she's like, if you go back to the camp and you apologize to everyone and act like everything's normal and then kill Betty, I will make Midge alive and your servant who will want to do anything with you and oh reggie's like God. "Ooh, sexy Ew. <laughs> and then the comic ends <laughs> actually it doesn't end we get one more issue about josie and the pussycats which does not have to do with the main plot. okay why does that feel so true to the show where it's like during season six we're getting all of this drama and then out of nowhere Josie returns and there's an entire Josie and the Pussycat episode that's nothing to do with the plot. <laughs> yes. Specifically, Josie and the Pussycats are vampires. Oh my god. Oh my god, they're like the Hex Girls from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. They were like born in like the early 1900s and they were like various musical acts throughout the decades. Uh-huh. There's a backstory about them being orphans. Oh my god. <laughs> and playing the vaudeville circuit and being turned into vampires and it ends with them like they talk about their whole history it's really not that important or super interesting but it's there and Mm -hmm. then they fly in on their private jet to Riverdale and the flight attendant's like hey there's like some rioting going down there are we sure we want to land the pilot wants to take us to Boston Mm -hmm. and the pussycats are like no take us down there (laughs) and then the comic ends this is the last comic to be published it it, I think it gets released on the last day of August in 2016 Mm. and one week later Riverdale is being shot. Oh, fascinating. Isn't it? So that makes me think maybe they're not done. That makes me think that there's something that he was going to put in there that he's saving mm-hmm. for Riverdale. Mm-hmm. And essentially, we we know he wanted to put that at the end of season one and maybe. have that be season two. Yeah. They wanted to do a genre shift to horror then. Instead, they do it, did it in like the Rivervale mm-hmm. miniseries. But who knows? It might come back. I mean, it definitely could. Do you want to know some Easter eggs about the afterlife for Archie that was supposed to be? In season one, you have Alice saging the room and referencing the old gods, Mm. which was supposed to be a reference to what was to come. And we also, this is why we had that weird scene where Cheryl was drowning and Jason was like coming up out of the water with a zombie. As a zombie with a bullet in his head, which is how you kill zombies. And he was also killed on the Greendale side, right? Mm hmm which is what Roberto describes as the magical side a lot. He kind of thinks of Sweetwater River as the division between the magic. That's so much information. I know. And this, uh, it started a whole other Archie horror subline of comics. Roberto hasn't written any of these, uh, except for The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh He wrote that one. It seems like it's pretty much the same plot as the Netflix show that he produced. So he produced a Netflix show. He didn't write it. Oh, well, he was the creator, I mean. Okay. He was the creator of Sabrina in the same way he's the creator of Riverdale. I see. There's something called Jughead and the Hunger, which is Jughead as a werewolf. (laughs) 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 I checked all the writers of these comics. None of them are featured on the Riverdale writing staff. Mm -hmm. However, I did notice some ideas taken from them, so... I don't want to read all of these, but... <laughs> Tell me a little bit. Okay, so one of them is called Blossom 666, and that's Jason and Cheryl competing to be the Antichrist, along with their <laughs> long-lost triplet brother, Julian. The one that they absorbed in the womb yes. in their show. Yeah. Uh, the but... one who allegedly haunts them. Yes. Instead, in the comics, he was given up for adoption, <laughs> which doesn't make any sense, but all right. <laughs> Yeah, why would why would they put him up for adoption? I don't know. And I think Cheryl convinces Dilton to kill Reggie in it. Hmm. Another one we have is Vampironica. 
Oh, which is exactly what it sounds like, Veronica as a vampire. And there's also a spinoff mashup of Vampire Veronica and The Hunger, where it's Vampire Veronica versus Jughead Werewolf. Hmm. Interesting. I think that's all the info I've got. There's something I noticed in some recent interviews as well, where Roberto was always very careful to mention that technically the writers were on hiatus Mm. for season seven. So it does seem like the other writers have an input. They definitely have given Roberto notes I've seen from some interviews. Mm -hmm. One note was like, did we really ground Archie? What kind of stories are we telling here? Which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> it's very, it's a very sassy note. I love that from someone who has been in a writer's workshop. That is very realistic <laughs> as a note. Yeah, so it sounds like when he was talking about season seven that some things weren't super solidified they were still in discussion about what was going to happen to some characters. Yeah. So okay, we'll we'll see what they come up with. He also said that he would like to have as many characters from before as possible, but it's kind of limited to, you know, actors' availability Mm -hmm. and willingness to be in the show still. That's going to be tricky for us, writing a script when we don't know which which actors can come back. Let me see really quickly on IMDb. Because sometimes they list the cast of the season before they release anything else, you know? Mm-hmm. Ah, they do have a season seven. They just have Don't Worry Darling. Ugh. We need to talk about Maybe we close on that title. What does okay. that title mean to us? And I don't know. What do you think? Okay. What that title means to me is that things are not what they seem mm-hmm. without going too much into Don't Worry Darling spoilers. It's 50s on the surface. Maybe they really are in the 50s, but there's some other current going on under it. Mm -hmm. And because Riverdale is Riverdale, I haven't figured out exactly what kind of dark tone I want to have in my season seven yet. Mm -hmm, But it has to have a dark tone. It has to have a dark tone. These interviews make it seem like they're doing like a happy-go-lucky original comic type of thing but Uh i know that would never fly yeah and everything has to be in continuity so he said this in an interview about the season six premiere Mm -hmm. he said one of the things we always try to do on riverdale is even when we are telling really outlandish seemingly disparate stories we always try to draw all the strands together by the end of the season so that what seems random and contradictory actually is a part of a bigger tapestry so camp so camp. Do you do you have anything else to add for the deep dive? I think we should expect to see a lot more people return to watching the show. My reasoning for that is because they're going back in time. They're using a relevant film title for the first episode title. Presumably they're going to use some elements from that movie, Don't Worry Darling. Maybe like you said, not everything is going to be what it seems. It's going to be in like a a mixed up past that doesn't really exist like a an idealized version of the 50s perhaps maybe we'll see things with kevin that we wouldn't expect to see um him being gay and stuff josie being black i feel like could cause some drama too oh of course if it's like gonna be real 50s that's gonna be intense if this Josie and the Pussycats after Life with Archie comic is any indication, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Josie isn't black in the comics, but mm. there's a different black pussycat, okay. Valerie. Okay. And they perform in Georgia and the KKK mm. drive them out. Yeah. Ugh. I don't know why he put that in That's there, but so he did. That's so not okay. <laughs> and then... And then after they turned into vampires, they went back to Georgia mm-hmm. and killed all of the KKK. Okay. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I feel like that could be a source of being problematic, but we'll see. I think it's going to be more camp than that. I think we should expect to see a lot lot of people returning to it because I think it's going to be... I think the writers are really going to take this very seriously. It's the final season of the show that they've spent years working on. 
mm-hmm. I think they're going to take it very seriously and try to do their absolute best to make it as dramatic and good as possible. And I think because they're all so passionate about it, it's going to be, it's just going to come off as camp. I feel like they're going to try really hard to do something. And I think it's going to fail in some ways, but in really satisfying campy ways, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's going to come off really, really well. In my theory currently as to why people think that it got weird in quotes in the second season <laughs> and then they dropped off was that the writers maybe became more self-aware of what they were writing is very camp and trying to like lean into that and according to susan sontag's notes on camp camp that is self-aware it's less satisfying and i think what happened with season one is that it was very very naive i think they were going into this wholeheartedly like we're gonna make the best fucking riverdale show ever and it came across as camp because it was dramatic and weird <laughs> and very aesthetic and the content was confusing and strange because they didn't really know what it, they wanted it to be yet. I feel like they were gonna, they were already planning on going in a direction that they didn't take. So when they shifted tracks in season two, I think people were like, oh, it got weird because they were more self-aware. They took their response to the audience that the audience gave and then they like incorporated that. I think I'm gonna have to disagree with you a little bit. Really? I think these writers are not very self-aware and I think it's more true camp. Okay. Simply because of this one article I read with Roberto and he talks about his process for choosing the musical episodes uh-huh. and he quotes a Silence of the Lambs musical and he was like, I really love it, but I just thought it was too campy. Uh-huh. And if you were writing something campy, why wouldn't you pick the campiest musical to go inside of it? Maybe that would be too much. Too on the nose. Too on the nose? He's like, that's too intentional. I need to be more intentional. How deep does it go? (laughs) How deep does it go? I don't know. And I think I agree with you to some extent. I think maybe to clarify, I think they probably were more intentional with at least the beginning of season two. I think they were like, okay, these are the things people liked and things that people didn't like. Let's try it. And then they might have pivoted mid-season or kind of lost track of what they were doing or not lost track of what they were doing necessarily. But I don't know. I think their instinct to create camp took over uh, once again. (laughs) I think there's also something just about trying to turn comics into a TV show that just Mm -hmm. makes it campy. It just doesn't always translate very well. Comics are inherently aesthetic because of the visual element right it's a different medium like betty's ponytail Mm -hmm. and archie's red hair and his little sweater vests and jughead's crown make more sense in shirts and the s shirts they make more sense in a comic book Mm -hmm. than they do on the screen yeah unless they were going to do like an animated series where the characters could wear the same outfit every day they chose to go in a route that makes it inherently campy but I think, I think that maybe they were aware that it was coming across differently than they expected. Maybe they weren't aware, maybe they still aren't aware that it's like true camp. But I think they became aware of the audience perception of the show a little too much in season two. And I think maybe they were like, screw it after that and just started continuing to write what they wanted to write and take care of the show in a way that felt more organic as opposed to, you know, catering to an audience. And I think that's why it returns to camp. Like, (laughs) in season three, for sure. The epic highs and lows of high school football. Are you kidding me? That's camp. And so I feel like it goes back to being more pure camp, more naive camp, you know? I think there's also something to be said about the interaction of the writers with the actors Mm -hmm. because if i'm thinking about it i can see where a writer would be like the epic highs and lows of high school football and maybe expect a sarcastic delivery maybe Mm -hmm. expecting like a well you haven't experienced the highs and lows of high school football like trying to defuse the tension yeah like making a joke of it yeah but because kj appa is kj appa (laughs) (laughs) he delivered the line in what what did that one reviewer call kj appa's performance uh she describes kj appa as a man with the natural charisma of composite lumber beautiful (laughs) chef's kiss gorgeous the best <laughs> oh, the seriousness with which the actors take this show this opportunity of theirs 
I, I don't think the show could be what it is if they didn't come to work every day ready to fucking sling the sauce. Like, serve us all a big old dish of sauce of whatever it is the writers are concocting, you know? Like, the amount of lines, or the amount of times Veronica has to say, Daddy! And Betty has to say, Juggy. I wouldn't be able to take myself seriously, but they do. And I applaud them for it. All right. This is something I want to add to the, the camp conversation. Mm-hmm. Roberto was on the creative team of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, the, the musical. musical. The <sighs> same one where it is rumored that the Imagine Dragons <laughs> uh, wrote the soundtrack of, or like their first album was supposed to be in the musical. Radioactive being the song when Peter Parker gets bitten by the spider. Yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> I cannot find confirmations that this is true. It seems like maybe someone made this up. But <laughs> I like to imagine that Roberto saw this and he was like, yes, you know what I'm going to put in at the end of season one for my big sexual scene? <laughs> Believer by Imagine Dragons. Oh my god. <laughs> You mean your KO moment? <laughs> yeah, my KO moment is Roberto being involved with the Spider-Man musical. <laughs> it makes sense. If he was involved with the Carrie the musical, and what was the other musical? He apparently wasn't involved in Carrie the musical. He wrote the script for the remake of the movie Carrie. Oh. He just loves horror. I see. I thought he was involved with the musical. Wasn't he involved with one of the musicals, or was that just misinformation that we confused? I think he was involved in American Psycho, the musical. Okay. Oh, okay. So I just mixed that up in my brain. I think I told you the wrong information earlier. Well, I probably also just confused I was it. confused, too. We're all confused. <laughs> We're all confused. This man is everywhere. He's, he's in Glee. He's oh, my in... God. We need to talk about him being in Glee. We do. We need to talk about him being in Glee... Him in the Spider-Man musical, him starting the new Pretty Little Liars, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, some other show I've never seen, Sorry, Big Love. What is that? No idea. No idea. Maybe we should watch it, though. <laughs> Supergirl. He's involved in Supergirl. Okay, what? It, what is this? What is this? There is a title on his television thing. It's past 2022. It says TVA. It says, Untitled Fourth Archieverse Show. Excuse um, me. Fourth? Fourth? What were the other three? Riverdale, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Katie oh. Kane. Oh, that's right. What is this fourth Archieverse show he's working on? Mm-hmm. I guess we'll find out. Oh, thank God. I was really, really worried that it was going to end. <laughs> <laughs> I was really sad. To be fair, I feel like... It might not be good. Like, Katie Keene existing isn't enough for me. That's true. And I also feel like The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, I haven't finished it. I've only watched the first couple seasons, but they lost me, you know? Mm, That's sad. And it's like, even at the worst point of The Vampire Diaries, I was still engaged, you know? Like, it was able, like, I was able to stick stick around through the worst part of it. Mm Mm-hmm. When there's, like, a little lull. Yeah. Any closing thoughts? Like predictions for season seven, or am I keeping those to myself? Anything that feel anything that you feel is important to reiterate about our deep dive, anything that you found significant from your findings, I'll tell you anything that I found significant from my findings. You don't have to reveal whether or not you're going to include it, but just the most significant thought that you can end with. I'm going to say that Afterlife with Archie doesn't look like it's going to be the main focus of season seven, but that doesn't mean that elements of it won't be included. We have a very, very strong record now of alternate universes. Mm -hmm. So who's to say we won't go there for like a day? Uh, The fact that Afterlife with Archie isn't finished and it's just been abandoned for the last five years is suspicious to me. So I think we should be looking at how we think those plot lines could be resolved. Mm -hmm. I think life with Archie is something to look into, which is, you know, the more classic comics. Right. 
Roberto has established that we're going to be in the 50s for a while. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be a one and done type of thing. Right. We're going to be in this universe for probably most of the season. At least half. Mm-hmm. The Don't Worry Darling title makes me believe that maybe it's going to be about escaping the 50s. Mm-hmm. Okay. I agree. Especially about the afterlife and life with Archie comics. The Don't Worry Darling stuff. The only thing I think I could add is that my takeaway from my research was Archie's weird fantasy, the blurred historical timelines. And that's also one of the big takeaways I had from Don't Worry Darling, was that even when I was believing that things were really in the 50s, there were aspects of it that did not line up with the 50s. And so that's what leads me to think maybe they're going to also blur some of those timelines. Maybe they'll still have some of modern technologies. Maybe like in Archie's Weird Fantasy, they will basically be in the 50s, but with the technology of present day, or to some degree, maybe they'll have flip phones instead of iPhones or something. I don't know. Email, maybe. I don't know. I feel like it'll be a combination of the 50s and like maybe the 90s, early 2000s. I think that there is going to be some blurring of the historical timeline even though we're in the 50s. That's something interesting that you mentioned. I remember early on in Riverdale reading or watching these interviews of Cole Sprouse describing Mm -hmm. Riverdale. And I think Roberta was in his ear a little bit Mm -hmm. because he was describing how Riverdale wasn't set in a particular time, how it was simultaneously the 50s and simultaneously like modern technology. I think it's going to be the inverse of it then. Yeah, he Jug Cole Sprouse. <laughs> Cole, Cole Sprouse, Sprouse specifically said that we're not in a specific timeline, like we're kind of in it, in its own reality. Okay. So it's interesting that you say that. It seems like maybe we're shifting a little bit more towards the fifties direction, but you're right, maybe not completely. Interesting. Well, we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at Cole Sprouse. Period. <laughs> He knows all. Cole Sprouse knows all. We'll leave you with the image of Roberto Aguirre Sacasa whispering into Cole Sprouse's ear. We're going to the 50s. Special thanks to Ben Chatwin for the iconic intro music. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave us a review and follow us at Riverdale Writers Pod on all social platforms. If you are at all involved with the production of Riverdale, or you just want to say hi, email us at RiverdaleWritersPod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. TTFN!